Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Employers are still playing catch up on so many different issues. Chief among them is how you recruit in a post-pandemic world what methods work best, what no longer works, and will the things that work now work next year or the year after? I hope to address all of these today with our guest, Ben Eubanks. Ben is a veteran author, speaker, and researcher. His fifth book, Artificial Intelligence for HR, debuted on Amazon's new and noteworthy books list and is rated 4.5 stars. He has 10 plus years of research and advisory experience and is an award-winning international speaker. He hosts the we're Only Human Podcast and the HR Tech Talks live stream show, and he is the Chief Research Officer at Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jim. I, goodness, you exhausted me reading off that bio. I, I'm <laughs> glad to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's my pleasure. Um, why don't we, we jump right in? Um, you recently conducted some research into 2021 talent acquisition priorities. What was the biggest takeaway from that research? Goodness. The single biggest takeaway is that the world's shifted a heck of a lot. And I really want to put some numbers around that because we all know that in general, right? Anecdotally, we've probably seen that in our own organizations. If you listen to this, you're like, you're telling me. And so I really want to put some numbers around that, understand what that impact was, how big it was, to what, to what extent, what was the depth uh, of that impact, what sort of tools save the day, what sort of tools, you know, are we going to rely on going forward? And again, there's so many different things in there. We looked at we looked at how to be better at inclusive hiring. We looked at mobility and how to move people inside the business. And as that is becoming a bigger priority for recruiting leaders. So there's there's a lot of really good stuff that I'm hoping to get to in the conversation today. And it's hard to boil it down to one takeaway, but if there is one, it's not gonna surprise anyone. It's everything's changing and um, we need to be on top of what's happening so we can be ready for what's next. Well said. Um, what What simply isn't a priority anymore? What did, what did your research say about that? So what is not a priority? So one of the questions I love asking is tell us about, tell us what's important for you for the coming year. And we've done that for several years now. And it's fun to kind of look back and compare things over time and see how those things change. And last year, or for the coming year, I guess, one of the things people said was a, a lower priority was something like onboarding. And in spite of that, you know, that we, we forced them to pick something. So they got to pick something that is a big priority. And we don't tell them, don't tell us what you care about. But um, so the things like that we that you probably would expect to see, video interviewing, virtual hiring, um, interacting with hiring managers is an interesting one. That one actually jumped up really far compared to last year's survey. And hmm. so some of those kinds of things we would expect to see broadly, you know, virtual hiring, that doesn't surprise anybody. Video interviewing took took the lead spot and jumped up 12 spaces from the year before. So those things we would expect to see, but some other areas. Like um, employer review sites came up into the top five, and it has been in the top five for as long as we've been measuring. And those are tools where 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 people can go and talk about what it's like working for that company. Like when you think about what the last years looked like, that that starts to make sense because people need a way to understand what that company's like when they can't sit down and look someone in the eye and talk to them about about that experience. And so they're looking for other tools, other ways to build that build that information. So again, there's there's some really interesting insights there. One of the things that I noticed about the the research, um, and when is it going to be available again? 
this research, the report is in design right now. And so it should be available within the next week or so. So listeners, stay tuned. Um, we will be posting a link to the research and discussion here uh, as soon as it's available sometime next week. But one of the things that was really interesting and, you know, as you mentioned, not really surprising was the massive increase in video interviewing. It's what it was interesting to me was this was one of those topics where before the pandemic, it was starting to gain traction and people were talking about it like this brand new thing. And then yet it wasn't ubiquitous and now it might as well be. Um, what did we learn from that? So there's a couple different things that we've learned from that. Um, we saw in the research that employers are using different types, obviously, for those of you not familiar with video interviews, you can do a live conversation, which for a long time was being done even outside of purpose-built HR tools like Skype and Teams and things like that. People can do those anyway, right? So video interviews in that format are fine. They don't require a specific tool to do it. But we found that more companies are doing things like pre-recorded interviews, where you give a chance, give the a slate of candidates a chance to respond to a question without forcing them to sign up for a specific time and show up there and, oh, the hiring manager's 10 minutes late because they had another interview and all those scheduling, you know, nightmares that can be a pain. And it's really challenging on a recruiter to try to get, you know, couple calendars lined up. It's not always easy. And so the pre-recorded interviews became a big priority. And what we found in the data was that employers that are that have a more strategic and active talent acquisition function, they're kind of leading the business and looking for ways to partner, not just leaning, sitting back and taking requisitions and taking orders and doing this in kind of an ad hoc way. Those ones that have a more strategic function we're more likely to use both types of video interviews because they're like, okay, let's get a let's get a look at Jim and who he is and get some basic details about him. And then let's go deeper with the actual live conversations. We can interact with you. We can ask you some questions about the types of things you'd be doing on the job, give you some scenarios. And so that was really intriguing to see that it wasn't just one or the other, but the high performing companies really did both. That is interesting. Um, and just another tool in the tool belt, right? Um, <laughs> When it comes to recruiting, it seems like you need as many as you can get sometimes. Um, I like that idea of reinforcing an interview, a phone interview with a video interview. Um, just seems like it makes sense. Yeah. Well, the, the argument against video interviews, especially the one-way kind of pre-recorded ones, is, oh, that's not very human. That's not very candidate-centric. How do people feel when they're recording you know, recording themselves in an empty room to talk into a camera? Is That, that doesn't feel very uh, personal. And that's absolutely true. But on the flip side, if we're getting you know, 100 applicants and again, the last year, unemployment took off and then it's starting to it's really come back down since then. But when unemployment was you know, millions of people looking for work, it's not uncommon for employers to get 100, 200, 300 people applying for a job. And there's no way they can have a live conversation with all those people. Yeah. So allowing a recruiter to go back through and say, okay, I know that for the first 60 seconds, that's the most important question I'm asking. So I'm going to spend 60 seconds and review 10 different candidates. And you can do that in 10 minutes versus an hour and a half. You're trying to schedule these. So there's some benefits to that on both sides. What was interesting is we did some research a few years ago on this because I was curious how candidates felt about this. Not just us, right? We get to make the decisions on the technology. But how do the candidates feel? And the research actually showed that candidates don't mind a video interview or an assessment if and only if it allows them to show what they can do as it relates to the job. Don't give me this vague, tell me about yourself and then judge me on that. Let me show you what I can do. Let me answer a question related to the job. Let me tell you about a marketing plan I created if I'm going for a marketing job. 
if I'm in you know, finance, let me tell you about how you balance a budget or how you reconcile this, this statement when things are out of whack. Let me tell you what I can do and it's a real scenario. Candidates actually love that because it allows them to be judged on what they put forward as their actual expertise, not based on how well they've rehearsed for an interview. Yeah, no, that's a really good point and a really interesting finding. It's so easy to just sort of drop an application into the ether and just sort of, that's the last you ever hear of it. And it feels unfair, you know, if you're, especially if you're a really good fit, you say, I didn't even get, you don't even get your shot, you know, at least get your shot. And it seems like yes. the video interviews give people at least that chance under that circumstance you mentioned, if they're allowed to talk about what they can bring to the job. Have you ever gone to a meeting where you said, you're hearing these things around you and you're like, okay, I'm going to say something. Even if it doesn't change my mind, I've got to have my say, right? All of us probably have done that. Like, I've got to tell you what's on my, what's on my chest because, because I've got to get it out there. That's the same kind of release that candidates get when they get a chance to show what they can do. And at least if, if you give someone your idea and they're like, eh, I'm not going to take, I thank you for your idea. Thank you for weighing in, but we're going to go another direction. At least you were heard. And at least you got to share that. And that's, again, that's a, that's a critical thing. I don't, I wish I could quantify how that feels for candidates because they feel that in their gut when someone listens to them. But uh, I haven't yet figured that one out, but that's, that's probably coming to future research. I'd love to dig into that. Yeah. I mean, candidate feelings is one of those things that people don't really talk about that much. I guess it gets into the, the candidate experience sometimes, but it's a fraught thing applying for a job. I mean, you really are being judged literally uh, on your, on your virtues, but also how, how well you can present yourself and the stakes are high, you know, I mean, it's maybe some people are just looking for a better job than the one they have, but a lot of people are, are looking for a job and they just need to get paid, you know? Um, and then they have all these skills. It's nerve wracking, you know, and then to go through the rejection after rejection, after rejection, or just the silence, it's, it's something I think every hiring manager really just needs to pause and consider for at least a few seconds every once in a while remember yes we boiled down all these people into numbers on a screen but they're a little bit more than that <laughs> yes yes i always say behind every single person right is a family is a dream is a vision for their future yeah. um all those kinds of things and it's easy to forget right and i've, I've always had the kind of the tug of war that i feel and i felt when i worked in hr was like, i've got to be business-minded i've got to be thinking about the numbers i've got to be proving the value but at the same time, I'd be thinking about, we've got to balance that with how are we connecting to people? Are we making sure that their, their needs are met? Are we supporting them to the degree we can? Because if you're not, at the end of the day, that will impact the business. And so those things are linked and we can't we can't separate them. You can go too, too far to either side of that. And that's that's a bad place to be. You don't want to be at the extremes. So you've got to figure out where on that spectrum your company is. And one, one piece of what you were just saying a minute ago about how it feels to be a candidate and to be unheard, right? Or to, to feel invisible. Yeah. In the last year, a lot of the people I'm connected to, probably you two on LinkedIn that are in the HR space, have been looking for work themselves, again, through no fault of their own businesses, yeah. have had struggles, things like that. And it is my hope that they will never, ever let go of how that felt to be on the other side, applying for jobs, not hearing things back. I'm hoping that we, that propels us in sort of a revolution around hiring to, to really focus on the human again, because I think we've We've, we might have gotten away from that in, in years past, and I'm hoping that brings us back to the focus because it's one thing to say, oh, well, if those are candidates are going through that, but when you go through it yourself, it feels a little different. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, The pandemic has been eye-opening, you know, and like you were saying earlier, in many ways, but that are related to that idea. You know, a lot of people experienced, because it was ubiquitous, it didn't 
it didn't discriminate. I mean, it turns out the pandemic discriminated a little bit, but basically anybody was susceptible to getting it. Most people know someone who, almost everyone knows someone who got sick. A lot of people know someone that died. You know, we got a, that window into our employees' lives. And in many cases, we got a window into our leadership's lives, um, which is another interesting side effect of all of this. And, you know, that the, let's just hope those lessons stick because it, it really does make a big difference to, to have that perspective. And one of the things I appreciate about you and your perspective is you're not in the weeds with the rest of us. You have this kind of perch where you can see what's happening across this big spectrum of companies and employers and industries and things like that. And the thing that you have come back to in many of our conversations over the last few months is we need to be focusing on this, this things that have changed and let's not go back and let's, let's make sure these things, the positive things stick and the negative things, let's all face it. There are plenty of things about going into the office that were awful and terrible. And we're so glad to see they've gone. And that's one of the things I appreciate about you is you, you are trying to encourage us as, as talent leaders to be thinking about those things and to not let that slide by. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks so much. Um, and that, yeah, that's absolutely my goal. You know, anyone can talk numbers and we will, we will talk some numbers, but I mean, it's, it really is all about people. And the single number, th one thing I've learned through all my years doing this is it, it really comes down to the respect between employers and employees. You can run an operation without respect, but if you aren't doing the things, and there's a lot of things you need to do to earn and maintain someone's respect as an employee, if you're not doing that, you're not succeeding as an organization, you know, and it doesn't matter what the job is. That's what we all want. You know, we want to be respected. It's simple. There's a great book. There's a great book called The Respect Effect that I read years ago. And one of the things he talked about is kind of the neuroscience behind behind that. And I'm a, hmm. I'm a sucker for anything neuroscience related. Okay. <laughs> that surprises everyone listening that I'm a nerd talking about data and research. <laughs> One of the things that he writes about is the fact that when your brain at work is in a space where you feel respected and you feel appreciated, it unlocks your creativity. It unlocks your, your ability to give your best. But when you always have that guard up because you're just waiting, I'm just waiting on someone to come and, you know, hit me when I'm not looking because that's what kind of place I work in. We don't respect each other's boundaries. We don't respect each other's thoughts. When you're in a place like that, you can never fully give all of your attention to your work because you're always doing that. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's a really, that's not a fun place to be. And I would encourage you by listening to this, like do a little audit on your own place. Ask some people, spend some time talking to them because you don't want that to be the, the case because then you're missing out on the best people can bring. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but it's also important to remember that you can be respectful when you're doing things that aren't nice you know if you're letting go half of your whatever department there are respectful ways to do that if you're cutting pay like many people got their pay cut over the last year there's a right way to do it and then there's the wrong way to do it it doesn't mean that you can't make those hard business decisions it doesn't mean that you can't be business minded it just means that when you do have to do those things that you position yourself in such a way that you're letting people down easy i did not expect the competition to go this way but i'll, I'll tell you one quick story <laughs> about that so years ago, one of the things I prided myself in is what we just talked about. Like we respect everyone. We appreciate what you bring. We, I spent time as the HR person building relationships. So I knew not just Jim, but whatever, you know, Jim's spouse's name, right. Or, or your kids or whatever else. We knew those things about people. And I, that was one of the things that I required my department to do is to spend time with them. So when it came time, we had one of our, 
one of our contracts had ended and it wasn't renewed by the customer. And I had to, to let three of our team members go. Mm. All of them were like, this is, this is not a good situation, but it's so much better here than it was at the last company where this happened, because I know that you've done everything you can to help me. I know that you did yeah. everything you could to save us and you were helping us in this transition. You made me feel like I'm important here, even though you can't keep me because there's no other job like what I do. You make me feel important here. And that I have never, ever let that go. And that is always the thing I'm going to hold on to because that's can that, that kind of grounds me and reminds me of the importance of caring about the people. Because right now in the moment, it might feel kind of silly or inane or just other stuff I've got to worry about on my plate when I have other jobs to do. But when the day comes and you have to cash in on those relationship chips in some way, or there's something hard you have to do, or I've got to tell you, we've got, we made a decision as a business and we did everything we could, but this is how it landed. People, if you've built that trust, we'll, we'll come back to that. And again, you mentioned trust earlier. I think that's a really critical piece that we can't forget. Uh, well said. And speaking of those uh, relations, you know, the people relations, you had this um, in the research, this finding about hiring manager relations. And 2020, it wasn't valued as high as it was in 2021. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly that means and what the implications of that are? Yeah. So in the in the study, we talk we we ask people what their priorities are again, and they can they can pick up to three options across this very wide range of of choices. And of the top five, hiring manager relations was number three, and it jumped up eight spots. And hmm. based on the conversations we've had, I've been curious about why why is that, and what does that mean to you? Again, I'm asked this question of other other leaders in our space to really get at that. And what I'm hearing consistently is this last year it became really tough because maybe we were. We were hiring for the first time virtually, and we we can't get together as a team. So I'm going to spend even more time trying to interact with and communicate with and support them. What's intriguing, though, is one of the questions we asked in the study was around automation and tools you're using to be more efficient in the hiring process. And we found that when companies said they're using tools like that, they said they also are encouraging their recruiters to spend more time interacting with candidates and hiring managers and communicating and building collaborative relationships and things. So there are several different pieces that kind of tied into this in the research this year that reinforce this idea that guess what, as we've already said, being a human is critical here and hiring managers for a lot of them, number one, they've never managed someone they've never, that they couldn't see before. Right? That's hard enough. They've also never hired someone that they've never seen before. They're comfortable with sitting down and looking someone in the eye and getting a feel for them. And even if that's a terrible way to hire, which it is, you know, they, they feel good to me. So let's hire them. That's not a good way to hire. But that still makes them feel more comfortable. Not being able to do that forced them to think differently about hiring. And so companies have to look at, okay, how do we screen someone that we can't see? How do we make sure we're getting the right ones? How do we understand if they're going to be, you know, a, a high performer or a contributor, or if they're just, they're just looking for another J-O-B to, to, hang out 40 hours a week? How do we separate the, the wheat from the chaff? And so there were some interesting things around that in the study, but it really reinforced this idea that hiring managers and recruiters, it's easy to butt heads, right? Because we feel like we're, we're this tug of war, but at the end of the day, you're both trying to bring great talent into the organization. You might have different perspectives on it. That's what you're trying to do. And I think this last year helped to make sure both of those groups, both those parties were on the same page, on the same path in a lot of companies. You know, one of the other things that I found in here that was interesting was the diversity and inclusion bit. Your 2020 numbers are, you know, it's one of the biggest responses as to one of the largest priorities. And then 
that's dropped significantly this year. Do you have any sense? Did you have any get into any depth around what's going on there? So that's the go back to one of the first questions you asked about what was not a priority. We forced them. You can only pick a couple. And so in the last year, if you had to pick something, right, if you had to pick something that's just to just to have a focus, it was the tactical and operational things. We've got to make sure video interviews work so we can talk to people. We've got to make sure, right, that, that our hiring managers are in the loop. We've got to make sure we have ways to hire virtually. Those were the biggest priorities. As a as an option, diversity inclusion fell a little bit. But what we found was this really intriguing thing that continues some research we did last year that said companies have finally gone beyond, oh yeah, yeah, we believe in that diversity stuff. They've gone beyond that kind of general sentiment to we are doing something about it. We are looking for ways to actively solve for this. And so mm -hmm. deeper in the study, we actually asked questions about, okay, how are you doing this? And they're doing things like make sure they're auditing their processes to eliminate bias. They're looking at where in the hiring funnel, diverse candidates are falling out. If you're getting yeah. a bunch of resumes in, but then at that first level of screening, they're all falling out, there's an issue with who will do that screening. Or maybe they're getting to interviews and one of your managers is always saying no to every single woman that crosses his, his desk. Mm. Right? Those sorts of things are indicators that there's an issue that you need to address, right? If it's 50-50, if it's, if it's a random number, that's fine. But if it's, if it's a very high percentage, then it's worth at least diving into and taking a look at. So we found some, some really specific things that they're doing. They're using assessments to make sure they're they're looking at everyone evenly and objectively and fairly. They're not picking them because, oh, you know, we've got the same last name. We went to the same college. We we feel some sort of camaraderie with you. Or like I said earlier, it feels good, right? You make me feel, feel comfortable, so I'm going to pick you to hire. Those are not good reasons to hire people. <laughs> we actually... One of the things we was, we asked was, how are you increasing your hiring diversity specifically? And the number one way, which is fine for me again, nerd, process improvement. <laughs> we are focusing on our processes to make sure that they are fair, they are standardized. We're not, we don't have these three workarounds over here or some special exclusion for that leader over there. We are having a set of processes that everyone is governed by because we want to make sure we're doing the right thing, not just here or there, but across the board. That's really good to hear because I think for the longest time it's been, let's just hire more diverse people, you know, and that's obviously got to be part of a diversity program, but that can't be the only thing I've said it a hundred times, because if you don't have the environment, they won't stay. So the, the switch from that or the, the, the renewed focus on getting the processes right definitely sounds like a step in the right direction. I had a chance a few years ago to talk with the head of diversity at Ikea and the, the conversation was amazing because we talked about the analytics, the ways that they're measuring their impact. And yes, absolutely. Hiring is part of that, but it's also how we move them up once we get them here. Because if you're hiring a lot of diverse individuals that have a lot of great ideas and then you never let them move beyond that very basic rung of the ladder into other levels of leadership, then you're not ever going to get the full value that you're hiring them for. And so that's, that's one of the other things that I was excited by in the research was we asked companies how they're measuring success of mobility efforts. How do we move people? Jim's a great contributor. We want to have him have, keep him here for a long time. So let's find another place for him in the business. Let's keep moving him around and growing him, let him contribute. The number one way they're measuring success is by greater diversity within the organization. Uh, it's, it's encouraging. On your top five list here of priorities, uh, Employer review sites made it, made it to the top five. 
um, and moved up eight spots. How interesting. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yes. So there are two angles to this. Number one, let's continue that thread for a minute ago where we talked about diversity. In the last year, there have been some new sure. new sites, new tools. In the last couple of years, there were more of them. But in the last year, there have been more sites that are kind of launched that have been focusing on different audiences that have been kind of lumped in with everybody else in the past. Right? There's nothing wrong with the big ones that we all know. But um, there are a couple like Fairy God Boss, Canaries, others that have come out. And they're focusing on Fairy God Boss folks and women at work. How do we make sure we support them? And we're going to give reviews around what it's like for, being, for a woman working here, whether it's a working mom or someone who's, who's on the, the fast track to leadership. Let's give some feedback from that perspective and gather that input specifically. Uh, Canaries is one that's new, Canaries with a K, and um, got to love all the, the tech company spellings, but the focus is on diverse individuals. We want to hear from people who are diverse working for Amazon and Walmart and Lowe's and McDonald's and all these other companies so that if someone is going to look there, they don't get a different picture of it. They get the picture of it. Here's what it's like being a person that looks like this or has this belief, or this is your background. This is what it's like for, for people like that. So that's the first piece of that. The second part is, I think part of it was last year, it's more, it's just like I said, a minute ago, uh, employers, hiring managers have a comfort level when they sit down and look someone in the eye for an interview and they can talk to them and kind of get a feel for what they're about. Candidates missed that same thing. They missed being able to meet people in person and being able to feel out the company and understand the culture. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing that really drove that, drove that interest there is that became a source of intel on what's happening inside the business and what it's like working there, even if you couldn't physically see or experience that. It's nice to hear about new, new review sites uh, going up. I mean, they keep people honest, but there's also something that happens like with Glassdoor in particular, when it first became popular, I feel like it was more honest. You know, um, and you can still get a good picture there. But I think that as time went on, employers learned this source of danger to their image and got really good at adjusting um, and making, I mean, other than the most obvious thing that they did, which is get their top HR people and their and their CEO to put a positive review in. I just think it's, you know, maybe like, like Yelp or like some of the other ones. I don't know that I can trust as much as I used to be able to. Um, you see some some confusing stuff on there. It can be harder to parse. So it's nice that we have other other sites out there. And I know that these things are like the bane of a lot of employers out there. And I think it's just where pe disgruntled people go to complain. But I mean, you want to know what's going right in your company, but you also want to know what's wrong. And, you know, yes, whiny, cranky, upset people that left your organization are going to leave leave, uh, you know, nasty notes on there. But at the same time, there's always a little truth and you can, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about your yourselves. Um, so it's nice to see, see these other sites popping up too. And it will make us all better in the end, I think. <laughs> I'm with you on that. What else is of interest in here? I, I only got a chance to read through the first couple of pages of it today. What are we missing? So we talked a little about virtual, about video, things like that. Um, and you might expect that people were responding to the survey saying that was important last year. But the question is actually, that priorities question is what's important for you for the coming 12 to 18 months. And yeah. so when people say things like video interviewing, virtual hiring, that wasn't just, oh, that was that was a big wave, oh, crazy, we rode that. <laughs> but this is something we're still on, we're in the middle of it. And we asked employers, are you planning on doing more virtual or location agnostic hiring, right? We're gonna hire, mm. 
regardless of where you are, we just want to access that talent because we, we're not bringing people to the office right now for the foreseeable future. And seven out of 10 companies said they were planning on doing more of that in the coming year. So again, even with vaccines and everything else in the mix, companies are still making plans, at least for now, to do more of that hiring of people that are not just in their physical proximity because, and that, that helps in a couple of different ways. It, act, it allows you to access talent you could never access before because that person's never gonna move. I'm based in Huntsville, Alabama. It was really hard to get people to move to Huntsville, Alabama, even though we are a tech corridor, there's a lot of amazing, more PhDs per capita than any city in the US. There's your fun fact of the day, but it was hard to get people to move here. Well, now if I'm a company based here and I'm gonna do more of that location and not to hiring, I can hire someone in Chicago to be a software engineer and work for our team and to contribute and be amazing without requiring them to come here. And so we're excited to see that as part of this. We asked companies how many of them saw a gap in their technology last year because of the pandemic. And again, about two thirds of companies said there was a gap that exposed was exposed there. And not only that, but again, going back to your one of the things you, you like to talk about is are we gonna, you know, is this gonna stick? Is it the change gonna stay or is it gonna go back to normal, whatever that looks like? The 20% of those people that said there's we we saw a gap because of what's happened in the last year in the way that our technology supports our, our hiring function. 20% of those companies have not yet filled that gap. It's still there. They're still just putting up with it, probably in hopes that it will just go back the way it was. And they're going to be sorely disappointed, I think, if they keep on holding on to that hope instead of making that shift that they need to. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting to me, it seemed like before the pandemic, and it's related to this, but it's going to go a little roundabout way to get there, <laughs> was that employees had, with such low unemployment, employees had um, the upper hand. You know, they could afford to move to other places. They could afford to shop around for jobs while they were currently employed. And I don't know that as a whole employees, at least in the States, really were capitalizing on that in the way that they could have because employers are very good at keeping, got, got really good at keeping their people. Then it seemed like when the pandemic hit and everybody got fired, that changed, that dynamic changed. Now you're going to have this wealth of, of candidates because so many people got let go. But there was this huge counterbalance, which was that remote work. Those employees that, you know, were part of your candidate pool are now part of everybody's candidate pool. And, and if you're not the kind of person that's the kind of organization that's going out there and, and finding those other candidate pools that are out there, you put yourself as a, at a disadvantage. And in, in some ways, it's still empowering of the employee. And I, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts on that on that is. That's a good question. And I, I, I would love to explore that a little bit a little bit more, right? Again, with probably some data, something like that, because they're the shift pushing people out that would have would have stayed at, at jobs, opening up the, the types of candidates in the market, changing those things up a little bit. I think there's that's a really dynamic conversation to have. Um, I know one of the things last year with the very beginning of the pandemic, I actually was was spending a lot of time with this company in our in the HR technology space. And what they do is they actually look at job postings as they're happening live, they're pulling, you know, tens of thousands of job postings and they're looking at the skills that are related to that. They're looking at the pay related to that and they're making predictions based on what's happening. And we, so when the world started kind of turning on its head, I, I said, Hey, let's, let's get together. Let's take a look at what's happening in, in your data. Cause we haven't seen an impact yet. And the next day calling back said, okay, like, wow, this is crazy. The number of job postings posted 
at the end, I'll say at the end of March, the end of April last year, compared to the to the first week, like we're on this trend to be the highest job postings, new jobs ever in terms of all their their history, right? The unemployment was so low. And then suddenly it dropped off precipitously. And a, a few weeks later, we saw yeah. all of the unemployment claims start coming in. So it was like a leading indicator for what was happening across the entire landscape. And again, just kind of keeping keeping in touch with them over time and see some of those things. At some point, it started coming back, right? The volume started coming back, more people posting jobs, more HR and recruiting people getting back to work and bringing other people back to work. And even still though, I use that as kind of a leading indicator for what's about to happen. Because when we are, we don't think about it when we post a job, but when you look at all companies posting all jobs, not that they have that big of a data set, but that that tells you where things are going. And um, it helps us to, to, to prepare for what's next, what's ahead, what's coming. And um, you know, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, a, that's one thing that popped in my head. It's a kind of a cool factor for, for being able to see things. And we always feel like HR is the last one to, to know everything and the last one to see stuff. And <laughs> there, there were actually venture capital investment firms that were talking to HR technology companies because they could see what was happening first for their customers. Mm -hmm. And they had leading indicators on what was about to happen to the economy. And that's, that's exciting for me that we are in the middle of that conversation. Yeah, even a small piece of that, that's still fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think maybe at some point in the future, we should come back and talk about talk because I think it's a, it's something that's not really discussed that much is employee power. You know, I mean, no one wants to talk about unions. I get it. Um, I'm not talking about that kind of employee power. I'm talking about, can I quit my job today and I'll be okay? You know, that's really important to people. Just knowing that you could quit is often what lets people stay at their job so they don't feel mm -hmm. claustrophobic. And, you know, I got the sense before the pandemic that, yeah, I could have. I could have easily quit my job and found another job somewhere else. And then halfway through the pandemic, it's like, keep your job. <laughs> you can't quit because there's so many people on the market there. Everything's getting flooded. And I'm just curious, you know, what's happening now? Is that, you know, is that still, still the case? Is it changing? But I know we don't, we don't have the data in front of us. So. I think it's tapering. I think it's tapering. You know, at, at one point it was, it was, like you said, it, it was, swinging the pendulum was swung all in favor of the candidate. We called it a candidate's market. Candidates had all the power. Yep. I could go in and just demand anything and the employer either acquiesces or moves on. And it's felt yeah. almost like the hostage negotiations with how, how I talked to one <laughs> TA leader, you put it that way. Cause he said it was like, they're, they're putting the screws to us, you know, forcing us on this, it almost feels like. And so that was the case and it shifted the other direction entirely. It was employers again, in the midst of the pandemic, when, when they needed it, like they, they kind of controlled the power because there were more candidates in the market. It's a supply and demand kind of thing. And again, as that unemployment number comes down, it pushes more power into the hands of candidates. They get to have more control. They can have more say, more negotiating power. When they're, when I have 10 great candidates to pick from for a job, you good luck negotiating. Cause I got someone else that's just as good. That'll take this, yep. take this at the current rate that I'm offering. And that's, again, that's, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. And it's one of those yeah. things that employers need to be aware of that, even if it's in kind of a, you know, a general sense of what's happening, because you don't want to be surprised um, if it swings back the other way back to the candidates and you go out there and you find out that, oh, wow, we didn't budget nearly enough for this job because now the, the market has shifted on that and, and they're, they're holding all the cards again. Exactly. 
Well, Ben, I think it's about all the time that we have, but you know, thank you again for, for joining me today. This was so much fun. I appreciate it, Jim. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, for me too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions. Or if you just have any thoughts or concerns about the podcast in general, we are also now available on Audible and Spotify if you want to listen to us there. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.